For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The book of Proverbs opens with a couple chapters warning about outward temptations to do foolish things. Now King Solomon is going to talk about the inner life. So let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Seven Keys to a Good Life. Alrighty, good evening everybody, let's get started. We are going to make our way to Proverbs chapter 3, and with the Lord's help, we're going to get finished through that whole entire chapter, and we're going to be a chapter smarter in wisdom and wise ways to live. Amen? Amen. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to have a resource in the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts and the Word of God, uh, the living Word, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for this collection of wise sayings, of wisdom that you promise if we bend our ear to understand and open our hearts and make a little effort that the wisdom for life would be ours, a wisdom that brings honor and uh, wellness and peace and your blessing. So we look to that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, there's no emotion quite as strong as a father's love. From the moment he becomes a dad, there's uh, just nothing he's not going to do to provide and care and love and protect uh, that child of his. If he's a good father, of course. <laughs> and of all the aspirations in the believing uh, father's heart for that child, um, the, the, the greatest and the highest aspiration of all is, is that they know and love uh, the Lord. The Apostle John really nailed it when he said, uh, there's no greater joy than knowing my children are walking in the truth. That's in 3 John and verse 4. And of course, that implies there's no greater grief than when your child is kind of out there and lost. Uh, walking uh, in the truth. Walking is a metaphor in the Bible for living and your life kind of as a journey. And then in the truth, walking in the truth would be uh, in right relationship with God. And, uh, you know, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1 just reiterates it. That says, a wise son brings joy to his father. And uh, there's a joy there because he knows his child, whom he loves with all of his heart, uh, is going to be safe. He's going to have a stable life in this life and his soul is going to be safe in the life to come, which is, is eternal. So that kind of explains uh, the passion behind the book of Proverbs. Uh, since the opening verses, uh, there's been no let up in Solomon's uh, eagerness to pound home uh, wisdom's benefit for his son. It's my son, my son, my son. You're going to see that tonight again. My son, my son, my son. The whole book of Proverbs is couched in the framework of a father's heart of love for his son to stay on the path that leads to life. No exiting, no swerving, 
There are pitfalls everywhere. The first two speeches, chapters one and chapters two, depict a life of veritable minefield of uh, just for a careless person with traps and pitfalls for, the, for their little baby boy or girl out there, hidden snares that can really cause a lot of trouble. So uh, we learned about already chapter one and chapter two about... Uh, Traps, uh, violent, greedy thugs and bullies and heartless uh, people who try to manipulate and recruit people to come along and join them because, you know, uh, sinners love company because it's kind of, you know, a little bit scary to go out and sin by yourself. But if everybody's doing it, you know, and you have a lot of friends, right? It's kind of the way it is. And uh, also, not only just greedy thugs and greed, but there's an adulterous spirit out there. Uh, and, and he argues with great uh, emotion. He makes a, an emotional argument to his boy or to his girl. And, and he makes a passionate argument. He makes a logic, logical argument. He comes at it logically. He comes at it emotionally. He, he comes at it passionately. Uh, there's no other way ethically. He, he'll just say, come on, does it even make sense for you to victimize somebody who's innocent, who's minding their own business? He comes at it passionately and he says, come on, man, if you, he who swerves from the path comes to rest in the company of the dead. I mean, if that's not a passionate argument, you, you know? And so he goes on and on and appeals to logic. Does it make sense for you to embrace the wife of some other man? He, so he, he's coming at it from every direction. Why? He's saying, little dude of mine, little princess of mine, trust God, live smart, do right, say no. Stay clean, be blessed. And then that's all he can do is lay it out there, pray, live, by, live as an example, and leave the rest to free will and God's grace. Now here in chapter three, uh, dad, King Solomon, and he's speaking to Rehoboam, his boy. He wants Rehoboam to be blessed right? And, and here in chapter three, my son, my son, my son, Rehoboam. But my son, my son, my son, greater than King Solomon is the spirit of King Jesus, who is called the everlasting father, speaking to anyone who's born of God, who is his child. And, and we hear the voice tonight. When you hear my son, my child, my daughter, that is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to you to say out of a heart of love, be blessed. Don't do things that are going to hurt you or separate you from my love. And so we're going to take a look at that tonight. Now, the first two speeches have been, chapters one and two, have been kind of a warning about outside influences. And tonight there's more of a flavor of what, keep a watchful eye inward your own promptings, what's going through your own heart. You want to put a guard there. Now, tonight, we're going to find seven keys throughout the chapter to a good life. And I think a good life is an understatement, <laughs> a blessed life, a good life, uh, but uh, the life that God approves and is willing to 
uh, bless. So here we go. One through four, Proverbs three. My son, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they'll prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So let's park there for key number one. Don't lose sight of the goal. Do not lose sight of the goal. Keep the target in sight. Let's talk about this. So he says, don't forget my teaching. Sadly, something that's so easy to do. Um, have <laughs> Every day, you have to live intentionally intentionally, today I'm going to choose the wise thing and avoid the foolish thing, moment by moment. And if you're not living intentionally, uh, you get distracted, you get careless, you get tired, and then that's when the foolish thing happens. And so he's saying, uh, you know, I like what C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Think about that. Keep your goal in sight and navigate your life accordingly. Well, you know, he says, don't forget my teaching. You know why? Because our souls have pockets and the pockets have holes in them. Uh, apparently, and, and I think you'll agree with me because you can learn something. On, this happens to me uh, once in a while uh, on a Sunday. I will have prepared somewhere around 20 hours for Sunday. So I, I'm well studied up on, on that passage. And then I'll preach it twice. And then by Sunday night, I will catch myself if I'm tired and careless and just distracted. The very attitude that I preached against and about and all around and gave you so many practical insights. <laughs> if I don't say so myself. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean, I came out like that and then I thought, wow, that's not right. And so, but yeah, and, and then I find myself, whoa. And then I'll get back in the car after the family gathering and I was just like, Barb, help me. Oh, next time, just help me, just stay Focused, and it wasn't the end of the world, but it was the very thing that, that I, I, I just forgot. I forgot. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. So all throughout the Old Testament, he uses words like, uh, bind them around your neck, tie them on your hand. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 6 through Moses, he's saying, and, and I have it written down somewhere, uh, but he said, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So the Orthodox Jews took this, as I've told you many times. Uh, write, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Uh, they used that. They, they took that literally. All he's saying is like, you know, tie a string around your finger. You don't really expect to see people with a string on their finger. What's the string for? I have to remember to pick up my dry cleaning today. No, that's kind of dumb. And if you do that, I think it's smart. <laughs> but, however, since none of you do it, um, in any way, oh, okay, phylacteries, uh, they put them on, uh, they put the passage 
on their forehead and on their hand. They're called phylacteries. I got to try them on uh, 10 years ago when I was in Israel. I wore them in front of the Western Wall, and here it is. Yep, that's me on the right. All right, yeah. And two of my Jewish friends. Mitch Yellen is in the middle. He's another messianic believer. All that means is we have Jewish roots and the guy who wanted to make 25 bucks by, <laughs> by loaning us the equipment to take a picture. So bind them on your foreheads, write them, and even thank you for that. Make that go away now. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you still see that in Israel. You're going to see it again in May if you go. And so uh, he, he's just saying, look, bind them around your neck, weld it to you. Make love and faithfulness is the key here. Love for God, faithfulness and serving him, right? Make love and faithfulness, faithfulness to God and his word a part of who you are. Make it so close. I mean, people wear crosses today. Is that to help them remember? Mostly it's jewelry now. But, uh, you know, we do those kinds of things. We put posters and post-its and signs and T-shirts and bumper stickers to kind of help us remember that when you get in the car, you look at your bumper sticker and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. So you have to, <laughs> you have to be careful because you know what, friend? The guy behind you. You just told everybody driving behind you, are you crazy, first of all? You told everybody, hey, watch me drive. I'm a Christian. I represent Jesus. You need to go take that bumper sticker off right now. <laughs> Most of us, right? So he's saying the word keep there is keep is, is the word to guard, right? So to keep, just when you get something, Pray over it. Let the Lord seal it in there and then keep it. And that's, my friend, the reason for a quiet time every day. Every day you can go over your notes or read, a, a, read a, a one chapter and just put it before you one more time. So he says, don't let them out of your sight right there. He says that in your text. Bind them around your neck. Make it a part of who you are. This is not because I say so. It's because it will help you. To win favor means that when you walk in faithfulness and goodness and love to God, you, you open up doors of opportunity because people love to trust people who are faithful people and good people. And so you'll win favor. You'll be well-received and you'll be trusted with opportunities. Your life will go a lot better. And, and now I just want to pause here and say the NIV unfortunately has prosperity there. It really does mean you will prosper. The word shalom is there. And the word shalom has a sense of an overall wellness, an overall prosperity. But that word in English just sends uh, the prosperity cult preaching that God exists to, to supply your uh, desire for material goods. And that's what really one, one Ray Ortland calls it a... Um, uh, all it is is, what does he say? Prosperity gospel is cold-hearted materialism in religious disguise. And they'll go to a verse like this. See, God wants to prosper. You just do the right thing and God will prosper you. Yeah, if, listen, Proverbs says, all hard work 
produces uh, is profitable. With or without a relationship with God, you can have a, a happy marriage as an unbeliever if you do the right things, right? You, you really can. I mean, you, you're missing out on a lot, but the, the fact that there is generally a prospering when we do the right thing and we put God's word to action, we're, we're not lazy, we're, we're mindful, we're, we're saving, we're, we're doing the right thing, and, the, and God blesses that. But in life, doing those things will bring blessing. And, and how about Job then? How about Job? Job, Job lost everything, right? Because, because it's up to God. Now, now the Job in the Old Testament and Paul in the New Testament says, this is what it means by prospering. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, I've lost it all because of Christ. Now I'm paraphrasing. He says, I'm okay with that because I have Jesus. I've been stripped bare and have nothing left at all. I have, all I have is Christ and I'm ecstatic that he loves me and satisfies all my desires. That's prosperity. That's the prosperity. That, 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 that's the gospel of prosperity is, is that if he blesses you, fine, materially. And if he doesn't, I'm still prosperous inside because I've got Christ and the Holy Spirit and contentment and I know where I'm going and I have eternal life and my sins are washed away and I have a clean conscience. That's prosperity. And I have power over my own passions. I have self-control. That's what it's all about. And so he says, don't forget my teaching. They will prosper you, biblically. Continuing on to the most famous passages of the entire 31 chapters. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, okay, so now the first one was don't um, forget my teaching, right? Because you already have now, thanks to the little distraction. And number two, uh, don't try to figure life out on your own. This is the second key. Do it God's way, and, and that's going to take some trust, and that's, that's going to mean complete trust. Trust him. Now, uh, you know Proverbs 28, verse 26 says, whoever trusts in himself is a fool. That, that just really, that's a humbling pill to have to swallow. Uh, now, here's a call in, uh, here initially for total commitment uh, that will take trust. And here's the kind of trust, your text, that God's looking for. Uh, now here we find out it's not about keeping commands. Anybody can do that. It's about trusting a person. Your Christian life is not about doing good and not doing bad. And don't ever look at it that way. 
Because if you evaluate your Christian life by, am I doing good or am I not doing good? Am I doing something bad? It's a bad measure. Because people in the world uh, abstain from immorality. Atheists can live moral lives. A Buddhist has some ethical rules. So you need to be saying, do I trust the Lord? And from that trust, am I doing the right thing or the wrong thing? That's a, more, that's a better, healthier, more theologically sound way to uh, evaluate your life. So it's not about keeping commands. It's about trusting a Savior, loving our Father, obeying a person. The word trust there in the Hebrew means to throw yourself down completely in front of somebody, almost spread eagle, and just a total abandonment to them. In other words, to jump off a sinking, here's a picture of it. You're on a sinking boat. You jump off of that boat, and there's a life raft, and you, you plop yourself onto that life raft 100%. You, you, you give your, your full weight and, and every expectation You're done trying to swim or you're off of that boat and your only chance of survival is you in that lifeboat and you're on it and you're going to stay on it. That's the kind of trust that he's talking uh, about. Nothing half-hearted. You'll see in your text, check it out. Uh, Notice, with all of your heart and in all of your ways. That's the blessing. Uh, Half-hearted anything will produce less than ideal results. You know, that's really true. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking about, you know, the doctor's doing a surgery on your mom and you're in the waiting room and he comes out, you know, and you say, well, how did it go? And he says, well, I could have tried harder. (laughs) (laughs) We almost finished it up. We almost did. We almost got uh, all the way done, but you know, we didn't get to it. Um, how about the mechanic you bring your car to, you know, uh, did you fix the problem? And he goes, mostly. <laughs> That'll be $482. Mostly. You know, come on. Come on. All, he says, with all your heart, in all your ways. Son, he says, my son, if you want a life that just cuts straight through to the bullseye, and you're going to be blessed and have the, the life that God intended you to have and minimize all those going around the mountain again and the dead ends and the long and boring and terrible days of detour. If you want to get rid of those, right? He says, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, in all your ways, acknowledge him. There are people in your life that don't know you're a Christian, not in an obnoxious way do you need to broadcast to everybody, but I think anybody who knows you at at some depth of level ought to know that you are a Christian, that, that you belong to Christ. There are people close to you that don't know. How is that in all of your ways, acknowledging him and he'll direct your paths? If you want straight paths, you're going to have to play by his rules. And his rules say, trust me with all of your heart and acknowledge me in all of your ways. And then I'll direct your paths. Well, we're like, direct my paths. He's like, well, could you get around to giving me the fullness of your heart and yield the reins completely? 
You can't ask for a straight, <laughs> you cannot ask for a straight path when you've got a hold of the reins and you're pulling this way and you're pulling that way. How can he give you a straight path? It's when you let go of the reins and say they're in your hands, Father, then he could say, aha, here's your straight path because you stop pulling and tugging right and left, right? Does that, that make sense to you? Thank you. All right. All right, so a full trust in God's word means a full abandonment of your own. You can't have it uh, both ways. So he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. What does that mean? It, it means a person, uh, uh, a self-confidence that makes reliance on God a second concern. So it's a person who thinks they know everything. Oh, now that's not only obnoxious, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous to, 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 for somebody to say, I, I know that, I know that. You know, I got this, I got this. I figured that out. I figured that out. Okay, I, 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 I got to figure it out. No, 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 no. Instead, he's saying, admit that you don't. Admit that you don't, and he'll help you. Let the Bible overrule your thinking. Let God's word overrule your feelings, and let the Holy Spirit overrule your reactions. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And the consequences of trusting God, he says, and full weight on the raft, he says, it'll be healthy for you. Oh, you will not have an ulcer. Because what? If not, you're not on the sinking boat anymore and you're not swimming for your life. It's not up to you to save yourself and provide for yourself because you have a father. So if you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart, he says, it will be healing. It'll be good for your brain and your mind and your heart. And, and you won't have ulcers or, or stress-induced uh, problems because that full weight of yours is on that raft, and it's the raft's job. It's not your job to provide for you. Yes, in common sense, factor all the common sense stuff in there, and then know that God said, I'm the one, I take care of birds. They're all, they all got full tummies tonight. They're all in their little nest, and they're all very happy thanks to me, right? And, and the bird and the, and the little flowers, they're all dressed up. Did you see the little yellow ones out here? They're already blooming. He says, I did a good job for them. They got clothes to wear. The birds are fed and put to bed, and I take care of you too. That's my job. So you can have health in your, in your body and peace in your mind because it's not your job, because you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways, you're acknowledging him. The two, and then he mentions two areas that need full trust that guys especially have trouble with, uh, gals as well. But he says, trust him with your finances. Support the Lord with the first fruits. The first fruits was the first crop that comes in to you through your hands. Give the best and the first to God. That's what he's saying. Don't come with the bottom of the barrel, the leftovers. Do all the stuff that you want with the job and the money that he's provided. And then for God and his work, you come. If there's something left over, he says, you know what? Don't bring lame animals, diseased sheep, moldy bread, 
just don't do that. Oh, well, I don't need the moldy bread and I don't need this sheep because he's only got one eye or whatever. He walks, <laughs> or he walks with a limp. All right, so I'm going to give that over to the Lord. David said, I'm not going to give God anything that costs me nothing. He says, look, you want to be blessed, son? Just, just play straight with God. Be generous. Support God's work. And you know what that does? When God's first in your budget, it just lines up the whole trajectory of your life. That's all it does. Your paycheck comes in, and you go first off the top. This, we do this for years and years and years. My tithe goes straight out, first thing, right? Because it sets the pattern of everything else that's going to come behind that including my heart, for where your treasure is, there's your heart. Amen? Amen. Thank you. The one person who's... <laughs> Just kidding. I love you all. I do, seriously. And the second area, he says, and trust him through the painful times. When a guy gets spanked by the Lord, we just get... Oh. Like, we want to spank back, but you can't spank God back. You know, it's just not good. So he's saying, son, my son, listen. When God's kind of putting you through it a little bit, it's for, he loves you. He wants to polish the rough edges. He wants to develop character. He, he, he wants you to look like him in the reflection. So he's saying, don't give up. Trust God with all your heart through in your finances. Trust God with all your heart in your adversity that God is bringing discipline your way because it's good and it's coming from a loving father. On to 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she's more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Wow. And so the keys have been, number one, don't forget my teaching, okay? Keep it front and center. Number two, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust me with all your heart, he's saying. And now number three, never, never, never underestimate the value of biblical wisdom. Now, he says, you want to be a happy camper? The word in Hebrew there for blessed is happy. Happy. You want to be happy? The secret to a happy life is living biblically in relationship with God, doing the things he says to do, not doing the things he says not to do. He says, you want to be happy? The wise person uh, with understanding in a biblical way has, has hit the proverbial jackpot. Now, he says, there won't be one area of your life that's not improved or safeguarded or strengthened or beautified when you do things God's way. Now, what's, uh, it's what's truly valuable in this life. It's way better than a fat uh, bank account or gold in your safe or a healthy IRA, he says. Now, none of that is bad. In fact, he's going to tell us it's very wise not to spend through everything you have, but to store up treasures and to keep money growing. And he talks about investing. So there's not a problem with that. He's just saying there's something way more valuable than money, to live for money. What's valuable is righteousness that delivers from death. 
a right relationship with God, wisdom, oh man. And, and what's he gonna say? He's just gonna say, there are billions of people who have riches and they're miserable and they're empty and they're hopeless and, and there's just utter chaos in their lives and they've got a lot of money. I read about an Austrian millionaire, Karl Rabiter. He gave away every penny he had $3 million. It's not a lot of money uh, these days, but he had $3 million. And he just said, <laughs> I've read the article, it was fascinating. He said, I was tired of five-star vacations that left me feeling empty. He said, everywhere I went, I just felt everybody was paid to be nice. Nobody was real. Nobody was genuine. I just was sick of it. I was sick of relatives who always looking to me. I was sick of not knowing who my true friends were. I was just sick of the whole deal. So I gave it all away and just want to work a regular job like a regular person, be a real person. And now he says he has real joy. And he said the thing that was getting in the way was the money. So we are just, what's more valuable than, than walking with God, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, having contentment and peace and a clean conscience and eternal life and forgiveness of sins? What's more valuable? What, uh, Jesus asks the question, he says, what would a guy give to get out of hell? What would you pay to get out of hell? And then you have that card. How, how valuable is the get out of hell free card to you? What would you pay for that card? More than $3 million. You would give anything for that. And that's why he's saying wisdom, right relationship with God, man. That's way worth more than any money. It's about quality of life. He's talking about here vitality, uh, honor. He says, influence, opportunities, and respect, uh, nourishment of your soul, and all of these wonderful things. Continuing on, verses 19 and 20, just a quick one here. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Just a nice, beautiful, poetic way of saying that through wisdom, even the rain and the, the natural way that God has uh, got the natural cycles going on to sustain life, he did all of that through wisdom. So the fourth key here in chapter three is here's a thought that might interest you. God needed wisdom. God used wisdom in his work to create the universe. He did it using wisdom. And if God prized wisdom enough to use wisdom in the foundation for life, how about you in your work, in your life? God needed it. He used it. We need it. It's foundational for life. Now, what's beautiful about this, I mean, wisdom is foundational. He said, God used wisdom the way he made the world. The way he decided, you know, the earth is going to have to be tilted on its axis. 23 and a half degrees, right? In order for you to have four seasons, in order for the crops to grow, in order, then he decides, you know, I've got to do some math here. He's got to use some wisdom. Uh, how, how much nitrogen and, and, and um, oxygen 
and argon and CO2, the four main gases, the percentages. If they're off a bit, we're dead, all right? So he has to use wisdom. How much of a mix here and about the lungs and all of that and humankind? How about all kinds of things? The sun and the moon to light, to give heat, right? What about that? If the sun was just a little bit further, we'd be one big polar ice cap. If the sun was just a little bit closer, we'd be toast. That'd be very, very hot here. You want to talk about global warming? I'll show you global warming. You die without a savior. That's global warming. Sorry. Moving on. So he says, he says, by wisdom, look at the rain that comes around. Look at the wisdom that went in to the natural resource called rain. John Piper gave a little sermon on Thanksgiving, and he included an illustration about the, the majesty and the miracle of rain. And here's, oh, let me read it to you. I got a little picture for you to keep you entertained. <laughs> picture yourself a farmer in the Far East, far from any lake or stream. A few wells help keep you and your family, your livestock, and your crops supplied. But if you and your family are going to survive, you're going to need another source. But from where? Well, the sky. The sky? Water from a clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,301,160 gallons, which is 1,650,000,000. 501,280 pounds of water, that's heavy. <laughs> so, how does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really, that's a nice word. What does it mean? It means that the water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. <laughs> I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? The water starts becoming water again <laughs> by gathering around little dust particles between 0. 0.00001 and 0. 0.0001 centimeters wide. That's small. What about the salt? Salt? Yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water, and that would kill your crops. So the salt needs to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea and takes it out the salt and then carries it 300 miles and then dumps it on the farm. Well, it doesn't really dump it. If it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the crops would be crushed, and so would you. 
So the sky dribbles, the sky dribbles. It just knows how to do this. The sky dribbles the billions, the billion pounds of water down in tiny little drops, a little at a time, just enough to supply you and the farmer and you who are supplied by livestock and agriculture just to provide enough so that you can be alive and well and taken care of. Now, now put, put the verse back on. By wisdom, the clouds let drop the dew. If God, by wisdom, can do those kinds of wonders in the earth, what kind of wonders can he do in you? Through wisdom, right? Moving on. My son... Preserve sound judgment, discernment. Don't let them out of your sight. There'll be life for you, an ornament of, to grace your neck, make you attractive. Then you'll go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble when you lie down. My son, my boy, my girl, my child. My child, when you lie down, you'll not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being ensnared. And so uh, really here, number five, the key to life, wisdom will keep, from, keep you from blowing yourself up. All right, now, he says, rest easy. Wisdom will give you a good night's sleep. That's key number five. Now, you've heard the saying. It's kind of old now. Not, every, not too many people say it. It's all good, you know. Uh, that's what they say. It's all good, you know. For the wise, that's true. But it's just a matter of time for those who do wrong and evil. Just a matter of time. So he says, for you, you have no anxiety about that. You don't have to fear the footsteps of the consequences of sin and wrongdoing coming behind because it always is there and it'll always overtake you. Always, 100% of the time. But those who are living wise don't have to fear that. You don't have to be afraid because you're not going to have a sudden disaster. You know, uh, your spouse suddenly finds you out and uncovers something inappropriate or somebody, you know, just an old friend from high school texting or something on your computer or she finds your hidden stash, or whatever, right? Because you don't have to worry that your boss is going to fire you because suddenly he realizes how dishonest you are and how he can't trust you because you cheated here or you took something there. So you don't, you wise person, you don't have to fear of of the disasters that overtake wrongdoers. And even if you are at the wrong place at the wrong time, which we never are as Christians, that's an impossibility, right? Because he says, I've ordered your steps. But even if you are at what we call the wrong place at the wrong time at a certain airport in Belgium, at the wrong time picking up your bags, right? You know what? You got insurance, 
You don't get a sudden, oh, no, I wasn't ready. Dear God, I'm in eternity and I have to face God in judgment for all of my sins. That sudden disaster does not await the wise person who's already made peace with God so that if the, the, roof, the roof could cave in on most of us, it would, yes, a tragedy but can anything separate you from God's love? You're going to live forever. You're going to overcome the world. You're going to reign and rule uh, with Christ. And the roof only sends you that direction. Do you see? So you're prepared. There's no such thing as a sudden disaster for those who have wisdom because they're right with God. They're ready for that departure date. But not so the wicked. The wicked don't know when the next time they're going to get behind the wheel of a car and plow into pedestrians because they're drunk. And then their lives are over, your life is over, and why? The sudden disaster that overtakes the wicked is upon you because you're acting like a fool. But wise people, wise people, he says, you go to sleep, you sleep good at night, even if you have insomnia. <laughs> I don't know how that works. I have some trouble sleeping, but I, I sleep good when I sleep. The point of the passage is everything's okay in here. Everything's okay in here. Moving on. Number six, I believe, right? Two quick ones. These are quick, 27 through 29. Don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. Don't say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it to you tomorrow. When you have it right there with you, don't plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Uh, key to a good life, number six, it's wisdom to be friendly. It's wisdom to be friendly. Now, fools will disregard the dignity of the individual made in God's image. This is about respecting and, and having a kind of a feeling of sacredness for the person standing in front of you because they are created in the image of God. And Christ died for them, whoever we're talking about. And for you to not be a friendly person, a warm person, person, a person that cares about the dignity of that human life because it comes from God. That you're just going to isolate, care about yourself, you know, and if somebody borrows your shovel and doesn't bring it back, you're going to take them to court, you know, or, or whatever. Uh, or, or, you know, you're just looking to take care of your own needs. He, you see somebody in need and he says, hey, can you help me out? And you have it, you can, but you don't care. He's saying that's foolish, that's fool behavior because God's about bridging. God's about community and fellowship and, and church life. Church life is undermined by people who are not warm, who are only caring about themselves. You know that famous uh, example I used about the lady who came up to me in Petaluma and said 12 people walked by me or she had even a higher number. 12 people walked by me and didn't, didn't even say a word to me this church. I'm in the lobby with my cup of coffee. Nobody even sees me. They just walk by me, walk by me, walk by me. 
That's foolish behavior. You should be the lady who's saying, I'm going to talk to 12 people. I'm going to greet 12 people. And then because you're refreshing others, you yourself will be refreshed. Instead of making yourself the center of the universe, I plead with you. <laughs> I plead with myself. Oh, I just told my wife. Where are you? She better be. Oh, there she is. I just told her, I just walked by her in the kitchen. I said, forgive me for being an ogre. I'm sorry you had to marry a caveman. You know, I just, 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 this was something that today I just was tired and just wasn't very sensitive and just was like in my own little world. And then the Lord just showed it to me clearly. And the more I beat myself up, the better it was because then she felt bad and didn't want to beat me up, right? <laughs> Because I was doing a good job of it. I'm just telling you, people, we're just all self-centered little babies, and we need to grow up. Amen? Let's move on, finish up. This is it right here. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, for the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, my boy, my girl. But he blesses the home of the righteous. Righteous means right with God and right actions that result from being right with God. 34, he mocks proud mockers but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. So the last of the seven keys to a good life is wisdom will help you see past the lie. Now, what's the lie? Well, in this life, the violent, and that word carries with it not just violence, but an arrogant, self-confident, cocky, godless kind of person who gets ahead in life by those qualities, and they succeed in this world. And we're tempted to envy them. Now, especially in the movies. Now, several times in the movies, I'm watching, and I'm, I find myself, whoa, I'm rooting for the bad guys, right? And, and, but it's set up to make you want to root for them, right? And then you justify it because you say, well, they're only doing bad things right there because the other guy deserves it, and he's the bad guy in the movie that everybody hates. So it's okay to get revenge on the, the worst of the bad guys, right? Okay, we're crazy. So anyway, we're, we're envious of that kind of thing, so he closes out here with three insightful comparisons, okay? And he's going to say, don't, don't envy that kind of life. See through it. Wisdom will give you x-ray vision and discernment to see through that. So Hollywood glamorizes evildoers, uh, but God despises them. Now, he says in verse 31 that he hates. Let's compare the fool and then the wise, okay? So that's what the verse is doing. He says he, he detests him. Well, we know for God so loved the world. So in theological terms, God loves in a general way everybody. He just has a love for even evildoers. However, he hates what they do, and he hates what that person stands for. So uh, technically, you know, I don't think you could say the Lord hates a person because he loves them and wants them. He wills that they do not, do not perish. He desires they do not perish, but for everyone to come to have eternal life, that's because he loves them, right? 
but he certainly has some strong feelings about them and their association with evil. Um, and so there's a curse on his house. That means that his life is going to never be blessed because he's living in an opposition to God and in opposition to truth. So the curse is just that he, he, he's doomed to failure because he's not in right relationship with the source of life and he's going about it backwards. And so there's no hope for blessing there. And so that's his life. His house is his life. Uh, one quote real quick. A life lived in antagonism to God and contrary to his word cannot be blessed. It's doomed and cursed to fail. And then it says in verse 34 that he mocks proud mockers. Here's, here's what it means. It means that a mocker is somebody in the Bible says, there's no God. You know, let him strike me dead. If there's a God, why am I still standing? Okay, that's a proud mocker, right? So he's saying that in the end, anyone who competes or challenges God to a duel loses. That's what he's saying, is, is that that dude is going to lose and it's going to be shameful. And God will be honored in the end and all his opponents will be shamefully disgraced, right? But God doesn't even want that. Ezekiel 33.11 says, he says, as surely as I live, he swears, he takes an oath, I swear that I take no delight in the death of the wicked, rather that they turn from their wicked ways and be saved, right? So he's not happy about it. But if you're a fool enough to say, you know, hey, I'm going to go against God, uh, you're going to lose, and you're going to lose badly. Um, and that's what, that, then he compares it to those who are wise. He says, uh, number one, you, you'll have God as your friend. You'll be able to have the ear of God Almighty. He'll be listening. And he's saying, ask me what you need. Talk to me, to, to God who made the universe. Number one. Number two, he says, he's going to confide in you. He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you what's up with your life. Turn left, turn right. Hey, don't trust that person. Have you ever gotten that weird feeling? The person standing there, you just got a red flag, you know, and it turned out to be right. And you had no reason for it because he confides in you. And then there's the opposite. You have no reason to be drawn to that person and you are drawn to that person. Because there's a green flag. He just tells you how the world's going to end. You're the only ones on the planet who knows. Because why? He says, you're my friends. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to confide in you. And then secondly, he says, your house is blessed. Your life is going to be blessed because you're cooperating with God, the source of life, his design. And thirdly, he says, instead of having to wrestle us wise ones to the mat like he has to do with fools. Instead of throwing us down, he's lifting us up and giving us grace and cutting us slack because he's for us, right? So when we're already humbled our, our hearts, he says to the humble, we're already, the word means to take the low road. When we're taking the low road, he's lifting us up. But it's the fool that takes the high road that, that vaunts himself in, in the sight of God that God has to take down in hopes that that guy will, in his humbling circumstances, turn to the Lord and be saved. And so 
I love how he ends. He says, one day in the not so distant future, instead of shameful judgment that waits for those who remain unrepented in their foolishness, there'll be a roll call. Uh, There'll be a roll call of the wise. And uh, your name is going to be on the roll call if you're in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there'll be honor and glory and oohs and ahs and bright lights. And you know what? When Jesus welcomes you, I'm telling you what. Read Revelation, the letter to the churches. He said, for he who or she who overcomes, to them I will. And then there, there's just probably half a dozen things throughout the letters. I will allow them to sit with me upon my throne. That's just one of them. So, When he introduces you to everybody, there's going to be applause and lights and angelic paparazzi. You're going to be a big deal. You're going to be a big deal because the big deal put his spirit in you and you lived wisely. Now, instead of standing there and earth and sky flees away and there's no room for them anywhere. Instead of that, the great white throne where it all ends in condemnation and shame. and They're they're just stripped, and the books are open, and everything they ever did, the whole universe sees it. You did what? You said what? Instead of that, he says you will get the applause of heaven and the honor as a trophy of God's grace. Because why? You are wise, my son, and not a fool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. Lord, we're, we, we all have the foolish gene, and uh, we pray that you would help us, Lord, because most of us here also have the wise gene. We've been born again, so we have a new DNA, spiritually speaking. God, we, we have a new way, but we need... To be reminded, Lord, help these seven keys of a good life uh, not to be forgotten, (laughs) to keep them close at hand so that we can be blessed, be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.